Lightning round question. What does science and sociology say is the number one thing you would have to do if you were a religious parent and you wanted to raise kids that stuck to that religion? Wait, the number one thing you'd want to do to get kids to stick to it? That's literally the question. Uh, uh, oh, I don't know. You are listening to Weird Religion. Hey, I'm Brian Doak. Hi, I'm Leah Payne. This is Weird Religion. The podcast for people who know religion is weird but love it anyway. Yay. Yay. So, I asked that question because a sociologist who studies these exact kind of questions has a newish book on the topic. Ooh. I hold it in my hand. Handing Down the Faith, How Parents Pass Their Religion On to the Next Generation. Ooh, fascinating. I am already interested. The authors are Christian Smith, a sociologist at Notre Dame. Cool. And Adia Damchik. Yes. Professor of Sociology at John Jay College of Criminal Justice. Ooh, fascinating. And they have collaborated on this book, which is based on empirical research, data, surveys, with a number of people. My first suspicion was... I was like, okay, the cover iconography. What kind of families are we talking about here? I was like, is this going to be about like white people? Yes. Or is this about like yeah, a certain group? Yeah. It turns out that actually it's about multi-religions and Ooh, multi-things. It's, it's, so they have people, they have Islam, they have um, Buddhist, they have like kind of like secular-ish mainline people. Okay. They have um, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Oh, so interesting. They have so evangelicals, they have black church. Wow. They, they got a, a cross-section. It's not yeah. everything. Right. But it's a lot of things. To know that it's not going to be dominated by, because, you know, I'll, I will be honest, there's a really charming little nuclear family on the cover, and it had a Dobson feel to me. Didn't it? But when you look more it closely, did. you're like, okay, they're not white. Yeah, right. There may yeah. be, there may be like some kind interracial of interracial, family. Middle Eastern kind of maybe thing. So. It, yeah, potentially. Clever. Yeah, like they, it, but but the the kind of sentimental pose and stuff had me kind of going one direction mm-hmm. with. I know where it, this was going to go, it, but right? sounds like it's know, not that at all. That's, that's tri- interesting. That's why I tricked you with the cover. Yeah, it's a good. I, I I'm tricked. Okay. Um, why can you guess as 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 an historian of of American religions, American Christianity, can you ask why there would be a hunger for people in this day and age to read a book about how parents pass on faith to kids. Oh, certainly. Well, I think that people are always interested in passing down, especially it's evergreen. in the United States. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm really shooting from the hip here. Yeah. Maybe that's not the right metaphor, but um, I, I'm just well, speaking off the top of because, my head. Because you're violent. That's your metaphor <laughs> that you are really into. That's right. It's, it's, a, it's, uh, a, it's a way of expressing your violence. Just how I am. In your language. Yes. Um. So... I think that because the United States does not have a state religion, there it, it might be a little bit more heightened here. This idea that um, this in this culture, there's a certain amount of competition, competitive relationship between religious movements. So that's sort of a perpetual issue in yeah. in these United States. Um, we have international listeners, so I shouldn't just limit it to Hello, the United States. Hello, Australia. Hey. Um, Loving you <laughs> down under. Yeah. but That sounds creepy. Um, <laughs> also, also. It's a Friday when we're, we're recording this. Also so. in the UK. Also, we, we peaked in the top 200 Christian podcasts in Germany a little what? Ago, Which meant we had like one yeah, German listener. Yeah, darling. Yes, I love it. Um, okay, so uh, there's that. There's just the kind of the... Um, Long-standing like, issue of how you um, 
are a religious person and then compound that by, you know, say you are a, an immigrant community, you come here and your ethnicity and your religious identity mm-hmm. are, they face new challenges when you're in the U S and like, how do you pass things down on top of that? Put like that we're in a uh, season of, um, tremendous institutional decline. So even really well-established longstanding religious movements in the U S are grappling with questions like, will we exist in the future? Mm-hmm. So, and then on top of that, there's this from the late 19th or late 20th century on just this huge boom in parenting literature and parenting culture. So just the mm-hmm. idea that you are a parent and you might succeed or fail at that, yep. that is like a huge thing. So there's so much, literature about that. So I don't know, this seems like the perfect time is what I'm saying for a book like this. What a a great bunch of insights right there. I was, you know, to your point about the the institutions and so on, I see one of the recommenders is Robert Wuth now. Princeton, right? He's one of these people that writes about this loss of the institutions. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, So... I thought it might be fun. So I've read, I've read, I'm halfway through this book. Okay. And I thought that I would kind of present a review of the book with some key passages to you. Okay. And to our listeners who may have, have interest in this topic as well, whether you are a parent or not, you are definitely a child and you definitely could think about this question uh, sociologically from a religious study standpoint, theologically, spiritually, any number of levels. Mm -hmm. What does it actually take to pass on a religion or a faith tradition to kids? Like, mm. what do you have to have? Now, this book actually makes a really interesting pitch and it's going to get heated. So just wait. Okay. And I've got some beefs and I've got some questions. And beefs so and questions. I love it. It's going to start off a little wonky, but okay. interesting, tantalizing. And then it's going to get hot. Okay. So just. <laughs> get, hard to promise. Get ready. Okay. <laughs> so the first thing they do in the book is they kind of go through their interviews with parents and they cobble together what they think are very representative paragraph snippets on what parents think about various aspects of religion with regard to their kids. Okay. And it begins to tell a story and it's one that's not without bias because Christian Smith has written about this issue before in his sociological work on the spiritual lives of millennials. Mm, Okay. Namely their idea that the basic God of millennials, and we're talking about people here born 1980 and afterward, People that are Up until, slightly older than us. 2001, I think. Yeah, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, people now who are in their like late 20s and 30s. Mm-hmm. Um, I now. taught the last year of millennial undergrad several years ago, so yep. I don't remember when that was. That's but anyhow. Right. And we missed it. We're, we're, we're firmly, barely, but still firmly in Gen X. Yeah, I think so. 1979 for mm-hmm, me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, okay. Now, here, reading these paragraphs... So you're going to see like elements of this. And I wondered about bias. Like, is he trying to like, you know, so it's like right away, I'm like, am I accusing him of being like an unfair sociologist? Like oh. he's, but you're going to, what you're going to see here is a very particular hallmark of what is, what contemporary faith has become. Okay. Which is namely, well, let me just read one of these. And okay. Yeah. See. I feel like there's. So the purpose of life, what religious parents in the United States believe about this specific issue is, and here's the paragraph. Listen to this. I won't read the whole thing, but I'll skip around. The purpose of living is to lead a happy and good life. A good life is one in which self-directed individuals are happy. um, They are self-determined. They should not be individualistic in the sense of being isolated or selfish. But good lives achieve a certain quality of life in this world, in the here and now, not about the hereafter, eternity, or some other ultimate reality. It's about self-realization 
each individual needs to leave a good life true to who they are as a unique self. Wait, and so this is just religious people generally? This is religious people that they interviewed. Hundreds of people. This is what they think on aggregate is, is life's purpose. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Isn't that a little, it's a little interesting. It is. Yes. Okay. Here's another one. What's the value of religion? What's, what is religion's value? Um, they point out and here, I'm not reading the, the, um, I'm reading their commentary on it. They said that few, almost none spoke about religion's demands or the trials or difficulties of self mortification. Mm. Some black Protestant parents being the rare exceptions. Oh, that's Instead, parents routinely praised religion for its therapeutic value and <sighs> social, cultural, and political benefits. Zero surprise there. That's interesting. Next, religious truth. First, children should learn to, quote, believe in something along the lines that there is, quote, a greater picture or something bigger going on, such as a God who's with us and answers prayers by the, or, or the force of karma. Second, religion can help people live good lives in this world. However, exclusivity, superiority, and fanaticism in religions are bad, dangerous, and must be avoided. Mm. And and also pointing out that um, nobody needs to accept or be subject to the whole package of a religious tradition. Oh, that's very interesting. Right? So, I yeah. Wow, I'd love so to. Yes, right? yes. What is the task? We could have a whole podcast on each of these. Yes. What is the task of parenting? Um, the mo- basically, this is the difficulty of parenting, according to the religious parents interviewed. It's made difficult by two major complications. Parents must never violate their children's ultimate self-determination, nor trigger teenage rebellion. <laughs> um, and That's, then, it's sort of hard and to then do both of those. The, fi- the final one I'll read, I realize I could keep pi- uh, piling these on, but I think this is the last one. Um, the priority of family solidarity. Major differences or divisive conflict with or alienation from or between adult children would be deeply saddening. However, if religion ever gets in the way of other activities that build family solidarity, such as league sports, mm. religion has to has to go. Oh, I that doesn't surprise me. At Shared all. religion can also be set aside in specific cases by the higher priority imperative of family solidarity. That makes total sense to okay me. what what in this has what what caught your ear what caught your eye what's um what what made sense what didn't make sense you know the first one was confusing to me the first one that 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 one didn't make a ton of sense but then i i realized well they're they're trying to create a a an aggregate form of many different religious traditions and then when i think about the first section made me think of who was asking these questions. And so mm-hmm. if I went into a room and it would make a difference if the person who was asking the question of me shared my religious tradition or cultural background. So I don't know enough about how the question was oh, asked. Oh, so you're saying maybe even the way that they were talking led them to say certain yes, things. Definitely. Maybe they wouldn't have said if they were talking to someone else. Well, and I don't know. You know a, yeah. So if I were in a thing where right, I'm like point. with people of other religious traditions, or I know that they're taking those into account, right. I might answer differently right, right. than if I were talking to another person like you don't of my see, tradition. You don't want to seem preachy or like they they would think you're a weirdo by yeah, what you Yeah, or I might want to, I might be thinking to myself, I'm explaining this to someone mm-hmm. like I would to an outsider. I see. You know, so you, I wouldn't go in and say, you know, the point of, I don't know what I would say, but. So there could be some it, results. We're that a weird population because we're could be some Could be something skewed. Okay, so the point you're making here is that there could be even something skewed here. Like this sounds like maybe the kind of generalist stuff someone would say if they thought their 
answers were going to be like read publicly or something. It, it like could. That. I don't know because that was the only one that I. The other ones I was like, oh yeah, that makes okay. total sense to me. The family yeah. solidarity thing. Oh, let's talk about family solidarity. That's absolutely, that's, especially the sports. I, I I came to a. I had a realization which is really simple when I read that, but it it hit home in a way that was harder and actually more emotionally affecting and depressing than I thought it would be. Okay. And it was this, realizing that for people like me, like my family, and I know this is partly true for your family and partly not, I live I live a couple thousand miles from my, my parents uh, and my wife's parents. Mm-hmm. And we don't live near my wife's sister. My wife has a twin sister. We don't live near my siblings. My siblings mm. all live in the same state where I grew up. We don't live near my wife's brother who lives on the East Coast. Sad. And I realized in this moment, why families, I would have given exa- I would have given answers almost exactly like that. Why? It made me realize how much pressure I feel I have on my family to basically serve as this autonomous unit because it's what we've got. Right. And, and it's basically like the advent of the automobile, the airplane, the industrial society where you live and you commute and you go somewhere for a job. And it's like just realizing like, oh, that has a real social effect. Well, that's, that is fascinating to me. The idea that what, you know, so in maybe other eras, a, a religious institution, like, and I just mean the physical space as well as the, or the Mm. organization, Mm -hmm. but that would be a social hub. Um, and this could apply to many different, um, religious forms. Whereas if we, so I hear you saying that as we have become a more transient society mm-hmm. that maybe it puts disproportionate pressure on a nuclear family That's right. to do everything. That's right. You have to be that an everything. organization like the yes. church, but also many other voluntary organizations Absolutely. would do. Absolutely. So much pressure. That's really so much pressure. And also I wonder too, and there's there, you know, I have, I have the kind of traditional, nice person's amount of kids too. So like, I'm not, I mean, this is not a criticism, but like people are having fewer kids, I think, right, than they used to have, right. which means now there's like more pressure on the kids that you do have. If right. I had like five kids, like my mom had, I'm old, five kids. Right. It's like, hey, this kid worked, this kid didn't. We all know that's true in my family, by the way. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> but like, you know what I mean? Like well, that's, yeah. it's like you could, but for me, it's like, I've got these two daughters and it's like, they're your you, world. You are my yeah. world. You must be perfect. If one little thing goes wrong, everything is now wrong. Our family solidarity is now ruined. Like that's, and the idea of my daughters moving away or becoming alienated for us is almost an impossible thought. Like it is heartbreaking to me, right? Oh, oh yes. I, and that's the, I mean, that's I have small point. children. I can't that's imagine. the family solidarity point, right? Well, what I think is interesting too about that is the nature of the relationship that you're supposed to have mm-hmm. in that imagined mm-hmm world which is i think way more informed by psychology than it would be anything else so we're the product generationally of oh i don't know maybe 30 40 years of writing that especially adolescence but you know childhood generally like the relationship between a parent and a child right. is supposed to be there there's a a, a particular vision of it and to, to do the kind of hashtag family first thing is to have a pretty high level of emotional intimacy between a parent and a child. And mm-hmm. I don't know if that's always been expected mm-hmm. of parents. So I hear an extra layer of pressure mm. on the family 
on the nuclear family to provide this sort of, yes. I don't know, idyllic yes. space. And it dawned on me the other day because of other research that I've been working on that, you know, you could have a totally fine and, and I think reasonably healthy relationship with a parent that is not like this. My kid is my best friend thing, but I, but there's so much pressure mm-hmm. for that to be that way. And I, I mean, I'm a parent, you know, I, you know, I adore my children and I hope that they always love me and want me to be in their lives. And I would be devastated too, but I also realized, you know, I mean, and maybe it's because that there is a sort of scarcity in the nuclear family that hasn't, you know, if you had like eight kids, could you have the kind of like relationship with each one of them? It's not feasible. No, you to have that kind of intimacy, but that would be good in the sense of now the the argument is going to emerge here um, about what they're going to argue. I want to get to the okay, okay. I want to get to the sociology part. Okay, got side. So that's point number one. Okay, Okay. so if you know that, you kind of know the case they're building. That okay, that religious families are starting to think about faith more as. Uh, something kind of very personal, very individualistic, very family-based. And I hear a value added, like a way of providing value and prosperity to your children. That's right. Kind of like different aspects of your life would be like a portfolio you put together. Right, You have faith as part of that. That's right. You have sports, you've got faith, you've got... Now we know also that there are different parenting styles and they go over the four the four basic parenting styles that psychologists say are the four ways. This is kind of an interesting reflection, even on your own upbringing. Mm -hmm. Um, Here are the four ways, authoritative, Mm -hmm. authoritarian, permissive, and then a fourth category that has different names in the literature, but they call it less engaged. Have you heard these categories before? Yes, definitely. Less engaged, would another version of that be like neglectful? Neglectful, yes. So less engaged are just parents who are uninvolved, withdrawn. They may not know the names of their children's friends or teachers, minimally involved. Okay. Authoritative is like the number is like the gold standard mm-hmm. according to psychologists mm-hmm. because it is parents who are high demanding, high standards, but then a ton of love and warmth. Okay. So you do high 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 pressure, high high structure with high love. That's what you want. Yes, okay, I see. Then authoritarian are just only the first part, the demanding rigid with and none without of the, affection. the warmth. <laughs> okay. And then permissive is the opposite, all the affection but none of the rules. <laughs> Like, interesting. What would would you dare to say? What kind of what, what, what? How would you have characterized your upbringing? Oh, uh, somewhere between authoritative and authoritarian. Mm-hmm. How about you? I would say somewhere between authoritarian and permissive. I mean, I'm not really mm-hmm. sure. I don't know if yeah. my, I don't know if my mom listens to these or not. So I, <laughs> I actually had that thought for just a second. I was like, I don't think my parents do. But we literally don't know who listens to this just podcast. Say it. Um, um, sometimes we get a little shout out here and there. And oh we, yes, and I love that. We love that stuff. Thank yeah. you. Um, okay, so I, it's hard to say. I mean, they were at best authoritative. Um, mm-hmm. At, mm-hmm. At, then the other ones. However, <laughs> we're already using this language of of. Has anyone critiqued that? Because I'm just. So, Anyway, we, we can't go down that road. Go ahead. I want to show you a graph, two graphs. I, confession, I'm part of a small reading group of people who started reading this because we were interested in this topic and we got into an argument about it and so we started reading. All three of us could not understand this chart. Okay. Which describes the following. And I'm going to hand this book to Leah right here. And this is very mean because- You've th- had time to think th- about it. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> um, we figured the only thing we could figure out about this chart is that the lower amount is, quote, better. But basically what this figure is, is marginal probabilities for the moderating effect of a parenting style. So of those four styles, 
what's the effect on the relationship between the interviewed parent's religious importance and, and what the adult child says they do 10 years later in terms okay. of religious attendance. Can you figure out this chart? Now, as you're looking at it and being stupefied by it, <laughs> as we were, because it's a complicated chart. Okay. I want to say this. If lower is, quote, better, that we did figure out, I think. Low parent religious importance? We thought, no, we thought the lower numbers on the chart. We're going to post. Oh, oh, okay. mean that the kids stayed in the faith more. Okay. For 10 years. Which one then is the worst? For staying in the faith. For staying in the faith. It looks like authoritative. So authoritative. Fascinating. No. Wait. No, at the bottom, right? It's, it's. Oh, 71. Okay. authoritarian. I get it. I get it. Okay. Oh, that's, that makes perfect sense. So authoritarian parenting style is not going to work. It's not going to work. If you want your kids to stay in the faith. Newsflash, you cannot control other human beings. You can try. Now, people try all the time. I just watch shiny, happy people. They try. Here's the insight, though, that I think is fascinating. Look at the other three parenting styles. I don't think they're that different from each other. Are they? Do you notice huge differences in the other three in terms of tenure, um, faith commitment of the kids afterwards? Tenure, faith commitment. Because that's what it's measuring. Yeah, it looks, it looks like, wait, wait, sorry. The top one is the better one? Wait. No, they're, none of them are better. The question is, what's better for keeping kids in church 10 years it later? It looks like there's not a lot of difference between any of these. It looks like they're kind of all the same. Authoritarian may be the worst, but if you are the perfect model of the authoritative parent, you might as well just be permissive. That is so interesting. For this purpose. In terms of this outcome. Now, it doesn't tell you outcome. if they go to college or if they you know, right. have healthy familial relationships right. and friendships and in fact doesn't less engaged look almost better, better than permissive it does i wonder if there's something about so, in a in a culture that's fascinating right yeah i uh, that makes me think about in a culture that thrives on religious competition mm-hmm. um i wonder if there's something about if you're a less engaged if you have a less engaged parent and you become religious uh, it's yes. more yours we did think that yeah we discussed that, that in the book club. i mean we that like, makes sense that would make me. sense of that one but so notice then, what's what's the rate though what's the highest rate really at all it's basically 50 50 yeah that's really at interesting. best there's a 50 50 you you flip a coin parents based on your parenting style it insofar as does your parenting style well, matter well okay as i'm interpreting this so this means we have let me know if I get this. Yeah. It, I may not, not get this. So I may not be able to say what I hear you get this it. saying <laughs> is that parenting style, contrary to what we've been told mm-hmm. for decades, yep. parenting style in and of itself may not be a determining factor that was when it comes yes. to religious. Life. There's a lot of other factors of that could be like, we just talked about some of them, geographical changes and yep. cultural changes yep. and all that kind of stuff. Yep. Socioeconomic stuff has to yep. play into it. Yep race and ethnicity certainly has to play into it, but parenting style may not, you know, this is so fascinating. And I, I hope this book gets a wide reading because so many books have been sold based on the premise that if you parent in a particular way, and I'm thinking specifically of Christian and Mm -hmm. even more specifically of evangelical Christian literature, it's like it, this is a promise. You do it this way, you get this outcome. And what we're looking at here is oh. that this may not help. It's a tale. That's all. It's a tale. 
You know what? Tale as old as time, song as old as rhyme. This idea that you can engineer perfect results in the world by behaving in a certain way. How do you feel about that as a parent, a Christian parent of children? I know how I feel about it, but I wonder about how you feel about it. Simultaneously, exactly 50% comforted and terrified. (laughs) That's That's a good way of saying it. I actually feel relief. Oh, good. Yes, because... Maybe, maybe it, this is because I'm a mother mm. and I, and culturally the spiritual well-being of a household, mm-hmm. regardless of what people say, but it often, like, I think that probably Christian women feel a lot of pressure, mm-hmm. but this, this, I feel a little bit of relief. Like mm-hmm. I, maybe I can't screw this up in the way that I'm worried about screwing it up. <laughs> Right. You know, isn't that fascinating? Okay. Wait, I heard a really interesting interview years ago mm-hmm. with Bradley Cooper, you know, Oh yeah. Famous silver linings, playbook. very handsome, very talented actor. The, the movie with Lady Gaga. What's that one called again? Oh yeah. I'm blank. Where, bl- where um, they sing. It's a remake of a American Judy Garland and something. Uh, yes. So Anyhow, bad. so bad. <laughs> Barbara Streisand also a had low, a version. A low I can catch all these other ones. And why can't I? Anyhow. So yes, Bradley Cooper was being uh, interviewed and he was talking about, I want to say that he grew up Catholic and and was talking about how, why he identified as such. Mm-hmm. And he talked about how much he loved his dad. Mm-hmm. And he said that his dad was Catholic and that's why he was Catholic. And there was something about just loving his father. Yeah. And I, I just was so moved by that. Now, that's not the kind of answer that a certain crowd would like in terms of the personal conversion sure. story. But there was a beauty in that answer that I just, I was really touched by. Mm-hmm. And I, I hope that my kids would see me, mm-hmm. you know, and just like, I'd, I I wouldn't be sad if my love for them was wrapped up in, but then that's, you know, that's, there's a fine line because then what if you, you, there are horror stories about how children are raised by parents who don't love them in a healthy way. And that colors their view of God and that's religion right. and so That's anyway right. so here i am i'm spinning out ah bail me out okay i'm gonna bail you out <laughs> and because we're because we're we're, we're running short yes. on time i want to get to the punchline here and, and this might be a thing where we need a part two to we this do later, we need but a part two he gets into now the authors uh adam chick and smith get into what is the argument what's their thesis okay their thesis is that what we are seeing is a long-term transformation this is gonna be very familiar to you as a religious okay. study scholar we are seeing a long-term transformation of the character of mainstream American religion in its socioeconomic context. That shift is from religion as a community solidarity project mm-hmm. to a personal identity accessory. Yes. And, the, and that has implications for the family. For instance, religion, I'm reading here, religion is what is what it is and carries the social weight it does by passing forward with an authority unique to its domain and historical tradition, what is believed to be very important to maintain. In this model, home and family are important, but they are not the center. So, right. so he says, the seeker church, uh, he and she, I should say, the seeker church and megachurch movements that flowered in the 80s and after both exemplified and propelled this transformation. Yes. So what is this personal identity accessory? Well, they talk about something, and this is where I had a reaction. <laughs> and I realize we don't have time for many of these reactions. We're going to have to do part two, part two. The basis for the acceptance of religious teachings and observances when religion is a personal identity accessory is not revelation and tradition like it used to be in the good old days. Right. They have a disclaimer like, look, we know this is going to sound like a good old days rant, but it's not. Okay, but it is. <laughs> um, 
It's not that, but rather what is it? It's each individual's personal opinion about what is helpful and right. Scripture says is replaced with, well, I feel that, or to me, and I just don't think I can get on board with. And I wrote this little arrow down here, and I guess this is the last kind of thing we really have time to reflect on here. So we'll end on a bang. Yes. I wrote, this is literally what I wrote in pencil here. You can- You're going to have to translate it. Yeah, I have terrible handwriting. I wrote, yes, (laughs) but maybe people in the 20th century realized via a legitimate learning from postmodernism that saying, quote, scripture says is a cipher for power and rhetoric and feelings. Mm-hmm. And that's actually all it ever was. And it's just been like unmasked. That's like, so I was like, I don't know if that's true or not. Okay. I know that sounds cynical, but I'm just like, yeah, people do see it that way now, but we've gone through a, a century of like information and an explosion of just like knowing things. And we now see that like scripture says, I mean, Christian Smith himself has a book called the Bible made impossible in which he shows pretty clearly that scripture is not perfectly clear because able-minded, faithful people disagree about it. And the fact that they disagree can only mean that one of two things, either one group is satanically deluded and the other group is right, or that it is genuinely ambiguous. And so in a case like that, yes, people then, you know, do what we are all so familiar with, which is use the Bible as a kind of weapon for their culture war thing. There you go. Well, okay. Uh, one minute, one minute, one, comment. one minute. <laughs> I, I did not uh, have that feeling about shared cultural learning or response to postmodernism, but now I'm going to be thinking about that for a while. What made me think of that is this, like what also happened in the, those years, during those years, the late, the mid to late 20th century was a boom in marketing culture. Yes. Wherein people just had so many more, um, options and mega churches were sort of the 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 ideal form of that if you were going to put a religious tradition into marketing culture that's what you would do so i think we need clearly a part two because i want to talk more about this and i know that we have to go we're gonna leave you on a cliffhanger here we're gonna leave you on a cliffhanger dun 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 This has been a production of Weird Religion. A podcast for people who know religion is weird but love it anyway. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram. Follow us into the ocean. Allow your heart to blossom. Retreat into the gorgeous and haunted forests of your mind. Find us there.